passage of scripture uh, I'll be preaching from this morning with the help of my friend Todd comes from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, everyone's favorite, I'm sure. <laughs> Chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, and I do know that most likely you've heard parts of this passage of scripture in song before. If I'm not, if I'm, if I'm correct, uh, it was sung by the birds. Um, 
said some great words about me or something. I don't remember any of that, but I do remember the person who baptized me, and it's Reverend Wilson Holman, who's sitting right over there. So.
the writer says, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. I think that what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, especially in this passage, is this. Don't live your life with rose-colored glasses. Live it wholeheartedly, with your eyes wide open, knowing that every single thing we experience is grace. There's a book called The Diary of a Country Priest, which I'm not even going to ask if you've read, because I doubt you have, but you should. And it's also an old, old movie. And in The Diary of a Country Priest, it's the story of a French man who goes to seminary and graduates and becomes a priest and ends up at a small country parish. And while he's there, he gets really, really sick and he goes into Paris to the doctor and the doctor says, you're going to die, like, soon, within days. And he doesn't have enough time to get back to the parish where he's serving. And so he only knows one person who lives in Paris, and it's a classmate of his from the seminary. And he goes and finds this classmate, and the classmate is living basically in squalor in a tiny little one-room apartment that is just a bed. And it's just dirty and not it's just not a great place. And his friend says, of course, you can stay here. I'll stay across the hall in this vacant room. And you can stay here and lay down on this bed. And I'm so sorry that it's not a more fitting place for you to rest until you rest eternally. And the priest says, oh, please, please don't apologize. All is grace. I think if we think about our lives that way, that the good things we experience and the difficult things we experience, if we recognize that in those moments, and we're present in the moment to feel it and to hear it, that all is grace. I'm not trying to say that God causes things, horrible things to happen. I don't believe that. But what I do believe is that God is with us in the difficult times and in the good times. God grieves us in our, with us in our despair and God celebrates us, with us in our joy and it all depends on how we look at it I do want to take a moment to talk about the last passage of this uh, little poem that you all know from the birds a time to love and a time to hate a time for war and a time for I think it's important that we remember that Jesus was born into a world that was covered up with hatred and war and injury and mourning. And he came to show us a way to higher ground. He gives us, if you read the life of Jesus, he gives us the directions to get to a more peaceful way of living. This is just the writer of Ecclesiastes acknowledging that in our lives there are going to be times of war, and there are going to be times of peace, and there are going to be times of hate, and there are going to be times of love, but that doesn't mean that they're all good things. There's a story where the Dalai Lama is meeting with um, a Buddhist man who had been imprisoned by the Chinese and tortured. And they're having a conversation.
conversation, and the the man says to the Dalai Lama, the whole time I was in prison and in torture, there were two times, two times that I got really scared and it got really bad. And the Dalai Lama said, there were only two times that you about died. And he said, no, there were two times that I almost hated the Chinese. That sounds a lot like Jesus to me. And that sounds a lot like there is a time for love and a time for hate, like we catch ourselves by being present in those moments. But the one thing I think that we're most nervous about is death. We're nervous about death because we don't know what comes on the other side of it really. And that's where our faith comes in. But there are lots of ways of dying. For example, in the United Methodist Church, and in fact, not just the UMC, I hope you understand this, that our faith and our way of living out our faith is in major decline in the United States. The denomination that is in the steepest decline as we speak is the Southern Baptist Church. They, they are like almost straight down decline right now. So it doesn't have to do with politics and conservative or liberal ideologies. It has to do with whether we are actually surviving and more than that thriving and, and more than that mattering in the world around us. But what happens in the United Methodist Church that I think is incredibly courageous is that there are congregations who literally are dying away. And they recognize that, and they're courageous to own their death. And in owning it, they close their churches down, and when the building is sold, the money that is sold, the money that is made from selling of their facilities, goes to start new churches and new ministries around New Mexico. And so, it's a death... But because we're Jesus people, we believe in resurrection also. So my friend Todd is part of the resurrection. And uh, I found out Todd was in town, and we started texting with each other, and I asked him. He asked me to preach, and I said, no, I got to preach because I wasn't here last Sunday. And he said, well, can I have some time? So I'm going to let him preach, you know. That's how preachers do, can I have some time. So he's going to tell us stories of resurrection for you now. Good morning, everyone. Oh, sure. Unless you want to stand still. No, I can't stand still. How are you guys doing? Um, My name is uh, Dr. Todd Selau. I am an elder of the United Methodist Church. Um, And about 10 or 15 years ago, I read this book called Unchristian, and it had statistics in it that said that. For people under 30, 20% of those people had a faith community, a Christian faith community that they were part of. So 80% of people age 30 and younger did not. This was 10 to 15 years ago. I haven't done any more research because 20% um, is a low enough number for me to want to take action. I'm sure it's less than that now. I'm sure the 80% number is more like 85, 90%. So we are in a situation where the things that we have done aren't always meeting the needs of the things that, of the people that need them. Things are changing. Things have always been changing. And so I started to think about this and my first 
appointment was in Clint and Fabens, Texas, which is pretty close to here. Great and wonderful people. And while I was there, I came to visit a friend in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I went up there, and it was getting kind of late, and so I didn't get fuel before I parked at his house. He and his wife went to work early in the morning. I don't wake up very early. And so I go outside and start my car, and it's out of gas. So the closest gas station is about a couple miles away. This was before Uber or even Google Maps. But I used to live in that neighborhood. So I walked the downhill to the gas station, which is all the way at the bottom of the hill, Montano, on the west side of Albuquerque, if any of you have been there. Walked down there. Filled up this gas can, and I, it's about noon on a summer day at that point, and I look up the hill, and I'm like, I'm going to get a ride. <laughs> and by the grace of God, a car comes and pulls up to get fuel, and it had a fish on the back. You guys know those? And I, I mean, I have a doctorate in, in theology, so I know that that fish means that they're a Christian. So, lucky me. Unfortunately, they had other things to do, and they couldn't give me a ride to my car. And so I went inside to see who was in there, and I literally heard some people talking about a Bible study that they had just been to. And I thought, well, it's my lucky day again. What's the chances? Flights in about five minutes. But they were all too busy. Somewhere else to go, something else to do. So I just decided, I'll walk up the hill. And as I was on my way to walk up the hill with this can of fuel in my hand, there was a man that looked pretty disheveled in this old, white, broken-down-looking pickup truck, and he was getting fuel. And I was like, well, I'll just ask this guy, since I'm walking right by him anyway. And I said, sir, would you mind giving me a ride up? Um, I ran out of fuel. Would you mind giving me a ride up the hill to my car? And he's like, absolutely. I would, I would, I would love to help you. He said, last week, my truck was broken down, and I could not find anybody to give me a ride to the auto parts store so that I could fix my truck. And he said, I never want someone else to ever feel that way. And he didn't even have a fish on the back of his truck. Not only did he not have a fish on the back of his truck, but as we started to drive to, the, to my car, he used a lot of colorful language. <laughs> My preacher ears were not used to hearing. And when he found out I'm from the El Paso area, he had a lot of very colorful and graphic stories about when he used to go to Juarez with his friends and court ladies. I guess how you would say it best in church. And so I'm just listening to his stories. We pull up um, to, to my vehicle, and on my car I had a clergy sticker so I could get the different spots at the hospital. <laughs> and so people might believe that I'm a clergy because I don't look like it, right? And he said, oh my gosh. We didn't say, oh my gosh. I didn't know you were a pastor. I would have never told you all this stuff. And I said... Well, because I'm a pastor, I'm the, the perfect person to tell all this stuff to. And I, was, and I gave him a little sermon about being careful and 
so on and so forth. But as I was thinking about this man and thinking about my two little churches in Texas, I thought, what if I invited this guy to a Bible study? And he told some of his stories and used the language that he used and smelled like he smelled and looked how he looked. Not only would he probably not be invited back, but probably I would not be invited back for bringing him. And I wanted to tell this guy, hey, there's this great church. You should go to this church. They would accept you just like you are. You would fit in. There's a place for you. I wanted to tell him. But as I was thinking, even of my own churches that I was responsible for and in charge of, he wouldn't be welcome there. I didn't know any other church where he could go. So I was very convicted that there needs to be a place for this guy and people like him. I was telling somebody after the service, I want to make a church where Waylon Jennings would want to go. <laughs> and so two years ago, we started a church called Exile. And we took what was old and we re-examined it because we usually look in the book of Acts when we're starting new Christian churches. This happened 586 or so years before. King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon came and they destroyed the temple. And they exiled the Israelites into Babylon. Took, they tore families apart. Friends weren't hanging out together anymore. They were scattered so that they couldn't come back together and lead a revolt and take it back. That's what they did back then. And I think back to that time. And that's why we call our church Exile. And I think about Jesus talking and gathering the disciples, going up to fishermen and tax collectors and saying, Hey, let's be the church. You've heard you, that someone cusses like a sailor? You've ever smelled a fisherman? Or a tax collector for them? <laughs> so that's the model. John Wesley wrote in his journals about people in the Anglican church, the Church of England, throwing food at him because they hated him so much when he was starting churches in the United States. And so he went to the coal mines and started preaching to the coal miners. And those were his people and those were his church. So I have tried to gather people that are misfits, that don't fit in, that are part of the 80% of people that don't have a church community. And we started a church. When we, where we meet in public places like they did in 586 when they were exiled into Babylon. They didn't have a temple, they didn't have synagogues, they didn't have a church building. So we meet in bars and breweries, coffee shops, parks. The way we do our church is we um, found out that um, New Mexico is number one in child poverty. So we make food for kids that are on free and reduced lunch during the week. We make food for those kids, for the weekend, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack for Saturday and Sunday, Monday if it's holidays. Between three bars, we're 
we're going to make between 15 and 20,000 meals for kids this year. And that's part of our worship service. Another part of our worship service is we sit down and we read the Bible together and we talk and we have a conversation about it. And I learn more from about the Bible from people that have never read the Bible Because I've read these stories a lot of times and I already have them figured out until somebody asks a question and I'm like, what? Where do you get that? Oh my gosh, it's right there. And looking at that with fresh eyes is the greatest gift that people that don't feel welcome a lot of times in church, they give me that gift. And so after that, we have an open mic where people come and they share their talent and they share their art. They express themselves. We have had break dancers, have a lot of musicians, we have comedians. We had a, a, a couple that came and um, freestyled, rapped on um, Wednesday. Our service lasted six hours on Wednesday. That's our worship experience, and that's how we do those things. And you don't know, you don't think you're there for six hours. It's not always six hours, but it happened to be that way. I'm so that's that's my approach. That's what I am trying to do by looking to what happened before. Looking to John Wesley, looking to Jesus, looking to the Babylonian exile, and how did they worship God when they were the minority? When there was only 20% or less of them? When you're the one that says, hey, I'm going to church, and none of your friends are going to church? And that's where we are. And we have to do something. So I would like, and I'm really thankful for Ross letting me come and tell you what I'm doing. I would love, if you're interested in this, ideas like this, or if you're interested in starting something new, I want to help people start new things. <coughs> but I'm good at like three things. So I have to surround myself with people that are good at other stuff. So if this is something that you are passionate about, this is something that is resonating with you, um, I'll, I'll see if Ross can maybe put my email address in the bulletin next week, but it's rev.todd at gmail.com. It's pretty easy. So feel welcome to email me and um, we can talk. But I would love, love um, to help you do something you're passionate about or if you can um, have some skills or talents or money or other things that can help me and, and, and my tribe down there do what we're trying to do. It would be marvelous. So I've known Todd uh, for quite a while now, and I have some stories I can tell, but I won't, Todd. Uh, as long as you promise not to tell stories on me. Never, I would never. Um, so uh, a few years ago, I was living in Abilene, and I got a phone call about 10 o'clock at night. I knew Todd's band was in town uh, for, I think, I don't know if it was an open mic or y'all were playing like a Winchester's or some random yeah, bar or something weird. like that. And, and uh, I said, uh, he, he goes, hey, uh, man, I'm, our, our band broke down at ATB, which is a grocery store chain in Texas that was like maybe a quarter of a mile from my house. And, um, 
That's like a grace thing for you. When a car breaks down, something good's about to happen. I know. I, I, Talk about like there's a time for everything and, and seeing the grace in it all, right? And so he goes, do you know any good mechanics? He assumed I wasn't, which is right. <laughs> I stood up and I looked out my window and I could see two cherries from cigarettes burning across the street. And I said, hang on a second. So I put my phone down and I opened the door and I said, Hey, Hal, Grumpy, a buddy of mine's broken down an HEB. Can you guys help? I have these biker neighbors, Hal and Grumpy. And I'm not, for about a year, I didn't know if Hal or Grumpy owned a shirt. And uh, they, they go, they're like, yeah. And I heard Hal go, get the sled. And then biker parlance, that means we're taking the car. And so I said, Todd will be there in a minute. And I go over and we jump in this like 1930s uh, Dodge that's like chopped and dropped. And uh, you would have you loved it. You would have loved it. So we jump in, and it's these two bikers, one not wearing a shirt, one definitely doesn't have sleeves on, and then square. <laughs> and uh, we pull in the HEB parking lot and get out. And those guys worked a long time. I ended up going home. I was like, man, I'm going to bed. And worked a long time, couldn't get the van working. They finally got it working the next day. They built bunks and all kinds of stuff inside of their van. And Todd has kept a relationship with them going for years. I mean, that was years ago. Grumpy's wedding, and so I, all of that just to say, like, um, you wore a shirt for the wedding. For the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> did he wear? Did he have his knife strapped to his side? Oh yeah, he had his knife on. Never know what's gonna happen. And so, um, all of that to say, when you live your life with open eyes and a heart that's ready, you never know how you're going to experience the grace of God. You could experience it through two random bikers that your preacher friend knows that lives next door to him. You know, like, you could experience it in other ways. But there's a story that I've heard you tell that I feel like you, you've got to tell it all the time, Todd. Everywhere you go, you have to tell the story of baptizing the guy with the pint glass. And so I, yeah, there's a lot, I have a lot of stories. But this is, this is a good one. There's a guy from our church named Dwight, and he, um, my band was playing in uh, Hamas Springs, a uh, show up there at, at a bar up there. And... Um, Dwight and his um, his girlfriend Katie came to the show, and on the break, Dwight said, "Hey, and I've known Dwight for for a long time, and he's been coming to to our church for a long time." And he said, "Hey, I've never been baptized before, but I really want to be baptized." Now I said, "Fill out this form," and oh, no, I I said, "When do you want to do it? Let's do it. This is great." And he said, "How about right now?" And I said, "Great." So I went to the bar and I asked him for a pint glass, and we went down and walked to the river. Um, Dwight and I rolled up our pants and took our shoes off, got in the river, and I baptized him there in front of um, some of our friends, the other guys in my band. So we had a community there because that's essential to baptism, in my opinion. And when we finished that baptism, we looked over where the mountains are, and the moon was just coming up, right? over the mountains, and it was just a perfect, magical moment where I'm standing in a river, just baptized a guy with the pine class that I just got from the bar on a break, and then um, we walked back to the bar and we played the rest of our show, and um, that was the coolest baptism I've ever done. Yeah, I, it's just like so perfect, the Ethiopian so. Um, Todd will be hanging out, um, talk to 
to him for as long as you want to talk to him that he has to do this at the next service, so you got to let him go at some point. After the services, I was ready for that. I was like, you have chill, have a break. you got to have some stamina. Yeah. That's why I didn't go listen to you play last night. Let's do community. So, the last night that Jesus got to gather with his friends, he had the twelve with him. You know, Peter, James, and John, but he had Matthew, the tax collector, who nobody liked. He had Simon the Zealot. And Simon the Zealot and Matthew, I don't think, could get along at all because they were on two different sides of the spectrum of things. You know, like, libertarian and socialist. They they had um, Judas there with them. And Judas thought he knew better than Jesus and forced the issue and found out he was wrong and Jesus